The kettle's boiled, Vic. Great. Perfect timing. Just a dash of milk for me, please, mate. Here you go. Shall we get started, then? Have you ever woken up on a Sunday morning and said, I'm never drinking again, and then found yourself waving 50 bucks at a barman by happy hour? Are you wondering why everyone else can stop at one, while you head to a dodgy after-party with a weird bloke called Disco Dave? If so, it might be time to take a deeper look at your relationship with your reliable social crutch, alcohol. On each episode, we'll investigate our own dysfunctional dealings with booze and find out if it's possible to stop this deeply ingrained habit before things get too messy. Yep, we're going to open up a shame shed of humiliating drinking stories to help you understand why waking up from a booze coma each weekend with a kebab sticking out of your top pocket might actually be negatively impacting your health. Hamish and I are here to delve into what it's like being sober, an unwanted warts and all look into why giving up those cheeky pints or putting down those mummy wines will make you feel happier, help your anxiety and mental health and turn you into the most sparkly authentic version of you. Won't that mean I become boring though, Vic? Well, Hamish, we'll just have to wait and see. I'm Victoria Vanstone. I'm Hamish Adams-Cairns. And this is Sober Awkward. You've got no issues telling everyone that you're sober. No, loud and proud, Hamish. Although I did tell a man at the market on Sunday morning that I was sober. He was telling me how hungover he was. And I said, oh, I don't miss those days. Mm-hmm. And he kind of sneered at me. His face kind of screwed up <laughs> like a really sort of ugly, sort of sneery face. And he looked actually disgusted by me. What did he say? Well, he just sort of made a paff sound is what I've written here. <laughs> he sort of went... And I was like, what do you mean by... He said, well, I just can't believe you don't drink. He was at, and he sort of walked away. Didn't even give me a chance to explain really? why I didn't drink or anything. He was just so disappointed in me that he couldn't even bear to look at my face anymore. It was very interesting. in you as a stranger choosing yeah. to be sober. I can't remember. It was a really weird conversation. I just remember standing there afterwards going, well, that was a bit odd. Yeah. So I had a bit of a weird experience with him, basically, and I ended up feeling a bit vulnerable afterwards. Mm. But then I got home and read the Sunday paper, and there was an article about schoolies... Schoolies? Schoolies. <laughs> schoolies. What do you call it here? Schoolies. Schoolies, yeah. Schoolies. It's a so funny you don't old understand Australian what schoolies word. mean. Schoolies are, you've just finished school and you're going on a holiday before doing a gap year or uni or starting a job. It's basically party week for anyone leaving school. It's like freshers week in England, isn't it? Before you start uni. Schoolies here is you just go mad for a week with your mates before the summer holidays. It was schoolies week here this week in Australia. And there was an article on the ABC about the Sunshine Coast, where Hamish and I live, about the schoolies swapping shots for smoothies and how this generation are being more aware of the risks of alcohol. That was really exciting. I'm going to read you a a little snippet of that in a minute. But, like, the man annoyed me and I was like oh my god being sober is the weirdest thing and he thinks I'm disgusting to going yay loud and proud everyone's talking about it now and it's yeah. okay so I was I had an emotional roller coaster at the market on Sunday morning but I'm okay now I actually had to go buy some furniture from someone the other day on Facebook marketplace oh yeah and they're child was on the Gold Coast for schoolies and I was so scared, you know, I was so frightened and he's, he's staying in a place that has a balcony, it must be a thing that schoolies people get drunk and pull yeah, up balconies. It's a common thing in the yeah. Gold Coast there's often a death because the kids are staying in apartments, they're drinking and there are some deaths from So they were falling. terrified, but they're like, oh our kid's sober I was like, surely, uh, it was, first it was like amazing, you've got an 18 year old who's sober 
But I thought that must be so much less anxiety-inducing for a parent. Yeah. If, like your child's not drinking. Like 99% of things that can go wrong at schoolies, I imagine, are drink-related. Yeah, Surely. absolutely. It's amazing are. that there are, there yeah. are so 18-year-olds out there. And also you're just kind of letting them off the leash. You're sort of yeah. cutting the umbilical cord They're for the first time. Anymore. They're not kids. You may, you may have done a few school camps and things like that, but this is the first time you're probably letting them go for a week. You know they're going to be drinking. There's probably going to be drugs involved. Yeah. And it's like you sort of have to let them go. It must be extraordinarily painful for a parent to just watch them go and know what they're going into. So it was beautiful to read yesterday that the kids are starting to swap the booze for something more healthy. It's so fascinating. Yeah, so today we wanted to talk about that a little bit and why we wanted to have a quick chat about the importance of being loud and proud in your sobriety. Yes, because today is a bonus episode and we want to share Vic's speech that she just gave in Byron. Vic, it must have been scary getting up there in front of a big crowd and telling your story. You've got not only speaking publicly, fear number one, but also sharing what is quite a vulnerable story at the same time. Yeah, it really was scary, Hamish. The reason I sucked up the fear and got on with it is exactly what we're discussing about today. And the same with the schoolies being loud and proud about being sober and about changing habits. I tell my story with pride now. The reason I started talking and writing about sobriety is because I wanted to help dispel some of the shame that surrounds alcohol. And I don't want anyone to feel like I did back then, you know, when I was struggling in that four years of not knowing I was worthy of help. I'm finding that that is the most rewarding part of being sober so far. I'm proud when I tell people what I've done and I love talking about it on the podcast. I agree, Vic. I think the more we shout about sobriety, the easier it will be for others to join the tea party. So before my speech, I'm going to add it on to the end of the podcast, the recording of it here. Let's have a little chat about why talking about being sober is the key to stamping out shame, which in turn stamps out stigma. Here's a little from yesterday's article on ABC News. In a far cry from the packed crowds and pumping DJ sets on the Gold Coast, schoolies on the Sunshine Coast say they are looking forward to a laid-back vibe. School leavers at Malulabar are trading hangovers for wholesome daytime activities and swapping the schooners for smoothies, reflecting a trend among young people towards drinking less. There's a girl called Kel Kalise, I think her name is, Kalise Beaver from Toowoomba, said schoolies wanted to have fun, but also to feel up to going out and meeting new people. She said, I think they are likely to explore th- more throughout the day. They care more about doing other things and don't want to waste a day being hungover. She said, I think everyone just takes it at a slower pace nowadays. The article goes on to say there have been no problems, no incidents with police, no falls, and everything has been weirdly calm at schoolies this so week. different from us, isn't it? Yeah. They are so much more aware. It's like a maturity, a social maturity, isn't it, Hamish? Mm. People are starting to understand the impact of alcohol. People are starting to talk about it. So, therefore, it's having a generational effect, which is absolutely brilliant. It's everything we could ever want, Hamish, this. So there is definitely a shift happening, and it is so exciting. Sobriety is in the news, and young people's attitudes are changing. Our culture is beginning to realise the impact of alcohol, which means people are seeing through the smoke and mirrors. The fog is lifting and the sun is peeking out from behind those hungover clouds. I wonder if this has to do with podcasts like this, Hamish, and Quitlit, and us just being open and talking about our experiences. 
I want to say yes, but I don't think we can take all the credit I'm for school he's not drinking. I'm going to take the credit. How many 18-year-old listeners, do you reckon, listen to this one? You know what, guys? Let's not drink at schoolies. I think many, many, Hamish. <laughs> I, mean, I think we should deserve to take a tiny bit of credit about okay, that. Because the article was about the Sunshine Coast, where we live. Yeah, I work at the ABC. I should write to them and say, you do. guys, that's yeah. all us. Yeah, that's us. Add it to the article. Can I have a medal <laughs> and an award at the council, please? Can I just have free smoothies for life on the Sunshine <laughs> yes, Coast? Yes, yeah, definitely. We're keeping the business open. Yeah. The reason we want to cover this quickly today is so you can grasp the importance of not shutting up about your experiences with booze. The more we talk, the less people will have to hide behind an issue with alcohol. Yeah, let's discuss why not being anonymous about alcohol will only help shape the next generation. It will also dispel the stigma surrounding the overdrinker. So why do you talk about sobriety so much, Vic? There is only one reason, Hamish, yeah. and I don't want to sound like a twit. But it's really to help others. That is it. That is my only purpose. It's nothing to do with wanting to be a writer or to be a famous podcaster or anything like that. It is purely for unselfish purposes because I don't want anybody to feel like I did in that four years after I had my first child and struggled but didn't feel worthy enough to talk about it because that is a painful place to be. And I also feel like I can deliver a message with humour, which means it hits different ears. Mm -hmm. It could hit hit the ears of someone who wouldn't listen to a podcast normally and reads, oh, well, this is a, a comedy wellness podcast. I'll tune in to see what it's like. And I can help people understand that you don't have to have a serious issue to be deserving of help. So I think that's what it's always been about for me from the start is making sure that no one ever has to go through what I went through with that anxiety and that shame and that feeling like I couldn't get help for a problem. And it took me so long to understand all of that. So I hope that me talking about sobriety wherever I can, whether it's on my podcast, someone else's podcast, in my book, in in an article that I've written on a Facebook post or an Instagram post, the reason I do it is because I believe talking about it helps other people talk about it. Yes, that's yeah. very noble. I hope any success that you get is because of that. I think because it comes from a good place, I think you deserve whatever goodness comes to you. Thank you, Hamish. But also... In turn, that can open you up what I do to people being horrible to me as well. Yeah. So there is a side effect of being open in this form, in this realm, like doing podcasting, putting yourself out there publicly, even in a newspaper article. I get the odd email from horrible people. Like one said, you effing alcoholic C to me once. That's all. The, yeah. Just a, just a one liner nice. in a comment, in a, in a personal message. No, I don't think I even replied. I Although I think I said, really I love you too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> love you. Bye. Yeah. Thanks, Dad. Yeah, so that in some ways it can open you up to a little bit of uh, abuse here and there. Mm. But actually, the amount of messages that I get are positive. And you know, Hamish, yeah. we get them every day from people all over the world saying, thank you. This podcast has helped me be sober and I appreciate you guys more than anything else in the world. And that weighs it all up for me. Like one bad, ten good. OK, I'm good with that. with that. Yeah. You have to have a bit of a thick skin in this game, though. Yeah. If you're easily wounded, then don't become a podcaster. That's my <laughs> advice. What about you? What reasons do you talk about your sobriety, Hamish, yeah. now? So initially I talked about it as much as possible just to be held accountable. I'm in the very fortunate position where I didn't have a problem with drinking. So I am sober because I want to be sober, not because I have to be sober. And I think that telling everyone means I'm less likely to give in. Yep. The more people that know, the more 
the easier I find it to sort of be true to my word. But also that in itself, what you're talking about there, is a massive message, isn't it? And yeah. that's what you're here for, is that message to say, look, I didn't have a problem with drinking, yet I have stopped drinking, which makes you very, very relatable and mm. gives you a voice here. Yeah, because I don't think that many people are doing this. No, so not I don't know anyone that's given up drinking without having reaching the point where they had some sort of issue or some sort of impact from it. So that's why your voice is so important. And I think through talking about it, you normalise it. The interesting thing about talking about it a lot is actually a lot of your friends I've experienced also want to talk about it. There's a lot of people questioning their alcohol intake that aren't talking about it. So if you start the conversation, loads of people who I thought, you know, my, my biggest, booziest friends have actually revealed to me, we need to go sober. I, I need to go sober next month or I'm being more conscious about my drinking. We've just come across your podcast. Can you recommend a book? Um, I'm trying to do, you know, I need to travel because I need to get away from where I live because mm. that is too triggering. So loads of people are actually probably thinking about this more than you think. Um, and starting the conversation, opening the conversation invites them to share their experiences. Brilliant, and I think yeah. that sense of community is something that I was completely unaware of before I was sober. I had no idea that there was a huge, sharing, warm, inviting community of sober people who support each other in their sobriety. That was completely new to me. And sharing it and talking about it makes it less frightening for people who want to go sober but think they'll be loners. That is the point of talking about it. And when you talk about it, like it's such an interesting point you make there because everybody's story is different. So it never gets boring. Mm. This whole sober society that, that we're chatting about today, everyone's story is similar in the fact that they drank and have given up. And that's where the similarities end, I think, because everybody has a very intricate and personal history, generational, you know, environmental, whatever that is. Everyone has their own story. And that's why the stories are relevant because other people will have been through the same thing as you which means they want to hear they want to keep hearing something until they resonate with it so my story might you know a woman who is at home with young kids and is over drinking might resonate with me a young male who's going out with her with his mates for lad weekends Mm. who's over drinking in every situation like that might resonate with you so we're just two people with two stories and what we're saying is the more people that talk about their stories and are open like Hamish and I being it means more people beneath them will then resonate so you've got to find your person to resonate with we had a brilliant blog on cuppa this week it was a cuppa member called ned who is 40 and he's a aussie guy and he's given up drinking and he's your classic aussie bloke you know and his story will resonate with many and that's what i mean you've got to find the right story for you and it's not until you find that right person will you consider giving up alcohol until you find similarity between your story and someone else's is when you will start to consider it. So it's really important for everybody to tell their stories, not those of you that just think you've got a voice about this one thing. It's important that everyone talks about it. Now we've got a special treat for you, which is Vic's speech. We were going to write an outro to put the end of the speech, but I insisted to Vic that I would rather the speech is the outro. What I did when you first performed it to me, we had like silence, really. We drove home and we sat in silence and we just ruminated on what you'd said. So I don't want to ruin that opportunity for anyone listening to this podcast by us then chatting at the end. 
Yeah. I think you listen to the speech. It's a powerful message. Sit with it. If you can, if you've got five minutes of silence, sit with it and just let it settle in. That's yeah. what I did and I'd recommend it. I think that's a good idea. So we'll sort of round this up and then we'll have the speech at the end. Yes. I do want to say that Hamish was a bit of a sounding board when I was practising my speech because it meant a lot to me because it was my first, you know, my first real public mm. speaking event. And because Hamish has done acting in the past, I was like, oh, Hamish, you've got to help me. And the first time I read it to him and his wife, Liz, like there was tears in, the, in your wife's mm. eyes, weren't yeah. there? Yeah. Yeah, she was. She's, she listened to it two or three times. She's cried every time. Yeah, bless she knows what's her. coming. She's still <laughs> crying every time. She's so sweet. But yeah, tell her. Tell us. Introduce your speech to us. Yeah, I never imagined, like five years ago, when I was still a drinker, that I could get up in a theatre full of people and speak. But I have been doing secret undercover yes, training. Have. Yeah, stealth. I've been stealth. I have been going to Toastmasters for a year. Which and is everything like a weekly class, isn't it? Yeah, well, I'll tell you a little bit of a history of mm. my public speaking, Hamish. I've never done it because mm. it's not a f- mental thing. I feel like mentally I'm there and I feel like I could do it. It's a physical reaction for me. So if I stand up in front of a group of people, my legs go wobbly, I get a red rash all over my neck and my hands shake. Mm-hmm. It's just as soon as I stand up in front of people, I'm fine behind a mic in this little studio. I'm fine with you. I'm fine in a small group of people. But as soon as it's people wanting something from me or that have expectations is when I just go to pieces. So I knew that if I ever was to speak in public, I needed to do a lot of work beforehand. So I have been in secret boot camp. (laughs) Interestingly, before you tell us about the boot camp, I think the rash is unusual but the jelly legs and the handshaking, I reckon everyone, even if you're a confident public speaker, feels that when they get up. Yeah. So okay. I think it's just how you process it. Either you tell yourself, this is stage fright, I can't do it, or you yeah. tell yourself, this is my body getting prepared for it. Like people are watching me, this is unusual. I'm ready, let's go for it. Maybe it's the kilo of prawns I eat every time before I That's, do a speech. It's a weird pre-game meal that you have every time. But no, I'm interested. Don't you have a kilo of prawns uh, before? Oh. Not every time. Uh, but yeah, tell us, tell us about your training. Tell us about Toastmasters. Yeah, so Toastmasters I've been going to for the last year and it is the most supportive little community there because everyone's in the same boat. Everyone's there for a reason and it's because they hate public speaking. Yes. But they know that they need to get better at it. And for some people it was, you know, they talk at work in front of a group, they have to go to meetings and they feel really nervous about that there was all sorts of different people there that were all super supportive it was really interesting space to be in and they teach you how to you know own your space and talk clearly and add pauses and how to really tell your story so that's what I've been learning to do over the last year and of course doing this podcast helps and going on other people's podcasts and learning how to talk is really what it is how Mm. to talk in a way that people will listen and I knew that I had to get up and own my truth which is what I've always wanted to do and this was kind of a stepping stone for me because I do feel like I can talk about this in a funny way which means it could help people which of course is always my purpose I was very nervous when we got to the theatre but I met this girl Lissy Turner who was also part of the crew there she used to be a DJ for Triple J Mm -hmm. and so she's done a lot of public speaking and she could see that I was nervous and she said are you right, Vic I said oh god I just feel I just feel a bit nervous I feel like my hands are going to shake she just said remember the people here are here to listen to you they're here to listen to your message 
So just tell them. And then I sort of realised that it was me that was giving the gift and that I could mm. pass it on. And that's what storytelling is all about. So it kind of swapped the nerves around for me. She said, like, just tell your story because that's what they want to hear. And so as soon as she said that, I walked out on the stage and I was like, right, I'm just here to tell my story. Oh, that's nice. it. I know it so well and I'm going to deliver it to these people as a gift to them. And that took all my nerves away. It was the best thing anyone's ever said to me. Is Like, if you have a, ever have a speech like to have someone there that just suddenly gives you a little nugget of wisdom before you step on the stage there was nothing better that could have happened so thank you Lissy for that so here you go it's a special treat for everybody here's the recording of my speech about my drinking story I hope you all enjoy it thanks for listening where am I what on earth was I doing last night I remember standing on a table doing an air guitar solo of sweet child of mine People were laughing, an angry bouncer and a haze of strange places and faces moving away. Then strands of hair dipping in the toilet water below me. The only sound I heard was my own moans reverberating inside the enamel auditorium. My insides hurt as I heaved. Nothing was coming out, just air and the rancid smell of the abracadabra takeaway. Then, just me alone in the rain, swaying. My night flushed away along with some foamy bile and probably a little bit of my dignity. Now here I am, eight hours later. Maybe if I lay still I can stop this hangover from forging its way into my body. Maybe if I don't move, my hangover won't notice me. I'm scared to peer under my sheets. I look down and scan my body. My sequin dress is clumped up around my waist like a deflated rubber ring. I have scratches on my knees, a black toenail covered in blood and disco dirt scuffed up my shins. Remnants of an unknown adventure mapped out in blotches over my pasty English skin. Where the bloody hell did I end up last night? Well, at least it's Sunday. Sunday means I can wallow in my squishy pit of discontentment until this stonking hangover pisses off. I try to go back to sleep. My heart beats fast. Irrational thoughts and half-memories bang around inside my head. I'm hollow as I think about what's forgotten. Empty because of what I don't remember. I sit up and decide to piece together my night, but noises from the land beyond my bedroom invade my hangover. Cupboards bang, the sticky sound of the fridge door being opened, the annoying clang of a single coin being flung around in the dryer. Then something high-pitched, like a cat being strangled. What is that? It must be the TV. Can you turn that down? But the noise gets louder. A warm light from the hallway enters my bedroom and the silhouette of my husband fills the space. The source of the racket is wriggling in his arms. You'll have to get up, Vicky. George needs feeding. What? The baby's hungry. Oh, yeah. Shit. The baby. Yep, a baby. My beautiful boy, and I'm too hungover to look after him. How the fuck did this happen? Well, I'm going to tell you. It's a mixture of ingredients, a perfect storm of fuckuppery. 
I was born within stumbling distance of lots of cosy English pubs into a wonderful and eccentric family. My parents have poured cheap sparkling wine into plastic flutes and topped up the glasses of wobbly party-goers ever since I can remember. I saw that drinking was how people had fun, connected and relaxed. No negative repercussions as far as I could tell. I was in bed with my teddy bear by the time Auntie Pauline was sick in the punch bowl or the police came to remove the man in the Union Jack thong from my parents' front lawn. I soaked up the cheerful pandemonium and I knew very early on that being a drinker was my destiny. A sort of legless legacy. And of course, as a teen, I found being a few beers in made me more confident with boys. But my overindulgence led to vodka comas in farmers' fields and awkward hand jobs in park bandstands. It was all a bit messy and sticky. Each scenario left me gagging for more alcohol to numb out these interactions with lynx deodorant smothered teenage boys. But all of my rebellious undertakings felt, well, quite normal. I mean, I was growing up in the mid-90s. If I hadn't been snorting coke off a filofax or puking alcopops into a neighbour's wheelie bin, I probably would have been considered a weirdo. I was just having fun, coming of age. But a few things happened on my zigzaggy path. A bullying incident left me with a little hole in my heart. That heartbreak caused me to drink for the wrong reasons. It changed then. I began trying to fill a void. I began to drink to be accepted within my friendship groups, in my family and within a culture that really didn't give me many other choices. But deep down, perhaps I drank to feel loved. Then add a dollop of Ladakh culture, a spoonful of recreational drug use, a large helping of low self-esteem. All of it combined spewed out exactly what you'd expect. A reckless party girl. A girl that abandoned herself, gave herself away for the entertainment of others. I spent the next 25 years being a booze hound with no off switch. The one with the backstage passes to every single gig, nightclub and wake south of the M25 ring road. But I was a reliable drinking buddy, a never-ending conga line of festivity. You know me. I was the one that bumped into you and spilt your pint, the loud one with the punchlines and the red wine teeth. You might have even held my ponytail as I vomited tequila shots into a pub toilet. I was that girl. I didn't know that this behaviour was harming or that giving my love away so freely meant there was none left in the tank for me. Of course, throughout my decades of necking shots and downing pints, there were red flags whipping me across the face. But I was too pissed to notice, too hammered to take heed. There was the arrest, the ecstasy overdose, risky promiscuity, a tsunami, the cult, job losses, toxic relationships. Oh, and the Millennium Stump. I blew my finger off with a firework on the Millennium Night. But you'll have to read my book to find out about all that shit. But nothing, none of these quite dramatic events ever made me question my relationship with alcohol. You might as well have asked the ocean to stop making waves. Sober was not on my radar. All my exploits were simply another wayward story to add to my rich repertoire. 
I was a happy, socially acceptable binge drinker with a habit cleverly absorbed into the crowd. The sort of boozing that got soaked up by the people I surrounded myself with, drenched by a society that glamorises being three sheets to the wind. There was no time for looking inwards. Self-reflection interrupted solid drinking time. Anyway, I wasn't passed out on a bench with a bottle of Jack Daniels clenched to my chest. I was your normal British pub-dwelling booze bag. But then something got in my way and I was rudely turfed out of the lock-in. A baby. I'm going to be honest with you now. Motherhood was not what I expected. I thought I'd just shove that baby in a sling and fuck off round the world and continue being me. But the transition from party girl to mum was, well, very difficult. I'd gone from having glitter boobs at Glastonbury to being up to my elbows in shit and nappies. The party girl slowly slipped away. She oozed out of the bottom of my Birkenstocks. I was becoming, well, just a mum. A person that wore daggy shorts and hummed nursery rhymes as she hung out the washing. I was a cardigan-wearing bottom wiper and I did not like it. The only way I knew how to deal with the mundaneity or the humdrum of being a new mum, or with any emotion at all, was to drink. Go out, escape the boring and find a piece of the old me on a grubby dance floor. So that's what I did. I left my husband holding the baby. I got pissed. I guzzled booze until I saw double. And that's how I got here. Hung over in charge of a small life. Too sick to care for my baby. I must do better, I thought. I tried. I really did. Water between wine, sticking to beer, attempting moderation. But once one was down the hatch, my inhibitions dissolved and I was dumped in a taxi with a Coles bag to puke in. For four years, I got stuck in a panic-filled Pinot Gris purgatory, trapped between the pub and an AA meeting, slowly fading away to grey. With each dusty Sunday hangover, Three unwelcome guests crept into my life. Guilt, shame and anxiety. I listened as my husband took my son out for the day. I heard him zip up his raincoat and the front door click closed. By some bloody miracle, I got pregnant again. She was tiny, with blue eyes. It was blissful and I made promises I couldn't keep. Seven weeks after her birth... I went out and got wasted. I danced around a pub with my maternity knickers sticking out the top of my jeans. I woke the next morning, my body pulsating with shame. My body shouting at me to change. Why can't I stop doing this? What's wrong with me? Why do I keep failing? I looked at my perfect baby that morning, sleep in her crib. Again, fear flooded my heart. I held my finger on my pulse, wanting to feel the moment my heart stopped beating. I didn't hold my children that day. When the panic subsided, I plodded into the lounge and sat next to my husband. I'm trying to stop drinking, but I can't. I think I need help. He took my hand and he promised to support me. And that is where my sober story begins.
Now here I am, nearly five years later. A sober mummy. A mummy that is present. Here to bear witness to my failures and successes. Here to revel in the wonderment of sober life and to challenge the booze-worshipping culture in which we all live. I'm a person that no longer leans on booze to escape or deal with strong emotions. A mum that learned in therapy to be kind to herself, take responsibility and rebuild a life without alcohol. I'm not perfect. My kids still spit fish fingers at me. They get beads stuck up their noses and drive me crazy. And I still shout at them like a rabid howler monkey at times. But I'm here and I'm available. Always. A dear friend once said to me, never underestimate a cycle breaker. The changes I have made will gently ripple through my family for generations to come. And I hope this means my kids have a choice about alcohol and know that just being themselves is enough. Sobriety has taught me that everyone is capable of change. Humans can evolve and grow, change the habits of a lifetime and go on to thrive. By saying no to alcohol, you're saying yes to authenticity. And it's the key to a happier and more fulfilling life. A life with less vomit, less shame and nowhere near as many visits to the STI clinic. On a final note, just remember, children are clever little fuckers. By existing, they force you into self-reflection. They shower you in something you can't avoid. They pour it all over you like warm custard until you're drowning in the stuff. Love. For them and eventually for yourself. It always comes back to love. If you're questioning your relationship with booze, you're struggling to moderate, or your hangovers are causing anxiety, it might be time to reach out for some support. Yeah, just talk to a mate about how you're feeling, contact a local doctor, find an AA or sobriety group. Vic's got one. Yeah, just head to www.cuppa.community. Remember, if you're questioning yourself, it might be time to seek support. Even though this journey can be awkward, it is definitely worth it. And if you've enjoyed the Sober Awkward podcast, don't forget to review it, rate it and share it with your mates. Do they have to share it with their mates? Yeah, of course they do. I'm not doing this for nothing, Amish. Bloody hell. How do they share it? I don't know, just write it on there.